0: Good morning. On this July 5th. I see you moving on the screen, so I suppose you can hear me. As Roshi said, this is a wonderful time to be in right now. July 5th, if we put our temporal mind on, then we could say this is the second bookmark of this 44th anniversary session we started out on Thursday evening with the threefold sangha followed by two days of session and today we are meeting the second bookmark that kind of embraces the whole experience for those of us who had the fortune to be here from the very beginning The miracle of being together while geographically apart is something that needs to be really deeply appreciated. When you think about it and when you feel about it and you meet this human ingenuity that is able to rearrange the flow of electrons, of really tiny, tiny things we can't see, of really tiny things that are so fast that they escape our senses, to rearrange, to build equipment that allows us to see each other, to hear each other, And through that remind us that there is a connection that is beyond these electrons, that is beyond technology. But that again, it's the human ingenuity, the human spirit and the human heart that stands behind it. And if that is the case, that we can take this material world and rearrange it to be of such a service to humanity, to be of such a service to the Sangha, to society and to everybody. While we should not have any doubt in our hearts that we can make differences that allow us to make this a world in which we human beings find our appropriate place, in which we human beings exercise our appropriate maturity, develop it so that we can end up in a phenomenal world in which man-made difficulties can be kept less and less, smaller and smaller. So it's a wonderful message of that what Hokuto sensei said we should give up hope. and. Of course, we are all in full agreement. Hope is not enough. Hope is somewhere out there. Now, right now, July 5th, 11.35 AM. Now, this is the place, not waiting for anything. So it's wonderful to have this opportunity. To practice together. And a second point that I would like to make here is that, well, Hokuto sensei, myself, and Shinge Roshi, we offer times for everybody to come and meet with us. With R- Roshi, it's formal Gohan study, it is formal students. But please do feel free and sign up for the times that Hokuto-sensei and I have available because it's also a wonderful thing for us to get to connect with you. Zen practice is about relationship and if you're reluctant to come uh, we don't bite don't be afraid Uh, and some of the ground rules one of them I, I would just like to state today is that uh, don't be afraid if you think you don't know what to talk about. There's everything on the table except one thing. In formal koan practice, your teacher has given you a koan. And sometimes I explain it, it is like a bank loan. You owe your teacher to pay back the koan that you have received with interest. And going to another bank, to loan some money to pay another loan back is something that we don't allow. So you can come bring whatever you want, but we won't be speaking about the koan practice that you're engaged in with your koan teacher. That opens up this wonderful plethora of what's left to talk about. And it's profoundly enriching, profoundly enriching from this side of the screen. So I want to pick up a couple of the threads that ran through these meetings that I was privileged to have with you over the weekend. So tying together a couple of the strands We talked about technology and how wonderful it is and what stands behind it of course is the human heart the human heart that in itself has that very very deep urge to be complete it is the human condition that looks for some completeness with our partnerships with our relationships, with our relationship, with the world, kokoro, heart, mind. And so many of us set out to seek, seeking for that completeness. And that of course is a very natural step. As soon as we realize we are incomplete in this human form, Of course, we have to do something about it. So Joshu Roshi, my ordination teacher, said something that sums up a lot of the things that we heard on Thursday evening in the talk on Friday and on Saturday. He said, there is no outside and no inside. The outside is ourselves. And in these times in which we live, we deal a lot with who is in, who is out. We deal a lot with looking at ourselves and saying, who do we let in? Who do we keep out? What do we let in? And what do we keep out? the two-dimensional mind might turn to Buddhism and read some of the scriptures of Buddhism and encounter the saying that everything is equal, but distinct. Everything is equal, but distinct. And we can learn to experience that however It is that two dimensional mind that says it in that way. And we fall prey to the fact that it is a tool that does not allow us to fully appreciate what is being said. Equal but distinct cannot be understood in an intellectual way. Intellection, the two dimensional mind the flat-faced place, just flat. He-men-jo cannot grasp what it can express, in words, at least. Because what is it that the two-dimensional mind uses as a tool? It uses judgment. It uses labeling. And comparison. It can only compare, it can only judge, because from that point of view, the only knowing that is felt to be known and sure of certainty is that it either falls in this bucket or it falls in that bucket. And everything that is in between, we don't know what to do with. So what is that? What can we do as Zen practitioners in a setup like that? What can we do? One of the most important things that Genro daiōsho in Vienna, in Austria, taught to his disciples, And it took a long time, it takes a long time to really uh, take that in. What he taught us is do not compare yourself. Especially in the context of Zen practice, especially in the context of relationship, comparison, judgment is a very important tool where it belongs, Remember when we talked about Engi, one of those 12 links of Pratitya Samutpada was the place where this assessing of positive, neutral, negative, affirming, indifferent, negating happens. So that link is where judgment happens. But let's not forget about it, that what is being judged is already there in absolute equality without the need to compare to anything. It also solves the problem of asking the question, does this have a right to exist? It's a silly question when it is right there in front of your eyes, in front of your heart, in front of your mind, of your senses. It is there, it does not need any right to exist that is intellectually supported. And of course, the question still can be, is it helpful? that this condition is manifest, which is a completely different question. What this points to is how to deal, how to approach these questionable conditions. Rejecting them. I completely reject so-and-so is denying them. And how can we deny that what exists? It is delusion, it is self-induced looking away. That's a very important step to be able to recognize within ourselves, within society, within this world. So judgment, don't compare yourself to others. There's always somebody who does what you do best, better. And there are always many more people who don't do what you do so well, not as well. It's very enticing to look down on people. I am superior but in the inner heart still feeling because we still live in that dichotomy, in that flat plane that really there's somebody who does it better than I do it. And I feel inferior. So making this practice in Zazen, in the expression of that, what we take from it into the acknowledgement of equality while different. The fact that there are distinct 10,000 things, this phenomenal world is not the problem. The problem is the judgment that we attach to it. So that was one of the topics that came up. And we as Zen practitioners, and I look back at my own Zen practice, I held myself to very high standards. And as you know, as soon as one believes in very high standards, one is ready to apply them to everybody else, not realizing that at the moment where one criticizes else for not meeting the standards, one is breaking them. as soon as we apply it to others, just the otherness is the root of the failure. And if we measure, there will always be more. There will be always the wish to have more. And as we know, that's what let To capitalism, and we know where that has brought us, the whole world, and how difficult it will be, but not impossible, to develop into a different mode of being. So, that was one of the topics that is recurring in uh, the meetings, and being reminded of it myself. (laughs) And seeing the various aspects of it clearer and clearer in my own being, in the relationship with you, in the relationship of the sangha to the world, is profoundly enriching. Thank you. Another one. Well, since we are talking about comparison and more. Everybody nowadays is looking for peak experiences. Whatever I, that was my peak experience. And if it's applied to what we here in Zen do, as the famous E word, which I will not even speak about, awakening, enlightenment. True insight. Well, if there's no inside, no outside, is there insight? Is there outside? Or do we have just to develop sight? Not looking for, not seeking, but truly seeing. Dai, yuho ho, dokuza sitting alone on the sublime peak. Daibosatsu Mountain, as Roshi said yesterday. With each of us, awakening to the fact that being born and having consciousness is a cosmic peak experience. Here we sit waiting for some other bulb to come on while we are sitting here and the whole universe illuminates by that very existence of our consciousness, of our mind and our heart. The light bulb, looking for the light bulb And even in physics, if you have two light bulbs that are completely aligned and you turn another one on, you know, it would only get darker, not lighter. So cosmically speaking, I welcome you all to a peak experience that began with our birth. If we think in the temporal way, However, let's not think that because that's an abstraction. The moment we wake up, like we woke up this morning on July 5th. I didn't wake up as a mushroom. It hasn't happened to me yet. The conditions allowed it to be here again, to still have consciousness and then to develop having recollection And being able to appreciate that this peak experience is present. It's the underlying foundation, even of all of our delusions. Conditions. My conditions. My practice. My this, my that, my that. Hmm. One wonderful place to learn to not only follow the Dhammapada in what we think is what we become like, but it is also what we say, because that again is an expression of that, what we think and of what we believe on that two dimensional plane of this and that. So making a very distinct effort of right speech by educating ourselves to ask the question or have the question mark every time we say something that has to do with my, me, I, is continuing practice, my consciousness, how does it change when you say, oh, in my consciousness, I feel so-and-so. Oh, consciousness. Already we have had a tiny, tiny amount of not being caught by that I am self, by that my, by the ownership, by the holding on to, by the mind that has to judge because it's a judgment that it is mine It falls into one specific bucket. So those are conditions. And Roshi spoke about karma yesterday. Again, that's the third time today I'm invoking the temporal mind. The temporal mind will probably think about karma as connecting, again, with the bank. There's the karma bank up there or somewhere that keeps with it the score of plus and minus karma. But as Roshi said yesterday, and as we heard also from Hokuto Sensei, from Rinzai, from Hakuin, and all the ancestral teachers, karma is not a static or temporal concept. It's the interrelatedness of the conditions that just manifest at this very moment, at this very moment. And that our practice or the practice of a human being on the path to completeness is to become aware and awaken to the responsibility for that karma, for the conditions that are manifest, not in the past, not in the future, but right, right here and now. You might ask, why do we do things like purification? Why do we chant? Why do we do that? Why do we chant? Kwa Or let's do it all together in English. Purification. All the harmful karma ever committed by me, sins of old, caused by my beginningless greed, anger, and folly, born of my body, mouth, and thought. I now confess and purify it all. Why do we do that? You just told me there is no bad karma. There is no bank. Well, the very important point here is that this peak experience of having consciousness, of being alive, comes at a price. Let's never forget that. Our existence means we have to take in food, we call it. We take in air and you might say, oh, I'm a vegan. But if you had the ears to hear the broccoli scream when it is cut off its stem, you would think otherwise. Again, the two dimensional mind makes the cut here, bucket and there's a line up to here, it's fine to eat and then uh, it will, it's not good. So it means karma, our existence is inherently harmful. And we can't say it is not intentional. When you sit there and you munch, even that florid of broccoli and you enjoy it, We have, we can do that, of course, but we have to be committed to what comes after it. Just saying, I can't exist without food is not enough. The question is, how do we reconcile that intentional harm that is inherent in our existence, in this peak experience? And we learn over time that it is reconciliation and resolution is something that's an idea of a two-dimensional mind. We have to resolve to this path, which also means we have to resolve to acknowledging the nature of our existence and living up to the responsibility of shaping this common conditions, the karma that we as a person, as a sangha, as a society, as a universe, as a cosmos have. And I thank you all for being on this path and helping out with it.